how is, speaking of that, how is your soul this morning? Now that's a heavy question. Our first song was a heavy song. We ta- we're talking about a prayer of lament, a psalm of lament. I know that there's a lot of heaviness around that. But I just want to throw that question out there. Think about this with me this morning. Take a moment to ponder. How is your soul this morning? What are you feeling? Rushed? Scared? Worried? Anxious? Not anything? Kind of just empty? Some of us might feel rested. Our kids, we just shipped out to Big Spring for a week, all three of our kids with Yaya and Pop. And so it's just Cody and I. We grilled a steak last night and opened up a bottle of wine and we had baked potatoes and we just just enjoyed each other's company. And it was quiet and I just remember thinking, man, I feel rested. I feel excited, encouraged about what God's doing. But some of us probably walked in here not so excited about what's ahead. You don't find yourself thriving in life right now. You kind of just feel, eh, I don't know, not feeling anything. We're here, you're making it, you seem to just be surviving. What's the phrase? You just, just your your head's just barely above water. All these things in life are just constantly bombarding you. And then others of us probably walked in here with a flood of emotions. You don't even know how to describe how you're feeling. You have doubts. You're skeptical of God. You're wondering if he truly loves you. You feel troubled and angst in your soul, wondering where God is in all of the mess that you find yourself in. Maybe you find yourself asking questions like, is this it, Lord? Is this, is this what you have for me? How long is this season going to last? Or maybe you look around and you're like, man, I don't even see him. I wish I just had a glimpse of it. I wish I, Matt, when you're praying for joy, I wish I was just a little bit, had a little bit of joy in my heart, but I can't because of whatever circumstance you find yourself in. But the reality, just to kind of clear the air here, the reality of living in a fallen world, a Genesis 3 and beyond world, is that brokenness is inevitable. Like you can't, you can't escape the brokenness that we find ourselves. I've heard this say, said often, I've used this uh, often with you, that we've either just gotten out of a season of suffering or you find yourself right in the middle of a season of suffering or chances are soon you will be walking headlong into a season of suffering. So chances are at some point in your life you've wrestled with thoughts and feelings like this. Welcome to Grace Church Alito. Breathe that in. I've got good news for us this morning from God's word. Excuse me, from God's word. In a culture, though, that we live in, just to be frank, I'd venture to say that very few of us like to answer that question. How is your soul this morning? Because we live in a a culture that doesn't give us much time and space to ask these questions out loud. Much less the church, right? Like, is the church a safe place to ask these questions, to wrestle with these doubts, to wonder where is God? Because as Christians, I feel like, at least the generation I grew up in, and I, I think I can say this across the board, I feel like we've been taught that we're supposed to be the ones in culture who have it all figured out. 
in any sense or sort of weakness or weariness, then, well, we better pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we better just keep on keeping on because we're supposed to be the ones. And so we've, we've come up with these phrases like, man, I'm just going to fake it till we make it. I don't have time. I don't have time to slow down and worry about all the suffering and sin and things that are in my life. I've just got to fake it till I make it. Because if we're asking those questions, if you slow down enough to actually ponder and think, if you wrestle with those doubts and those fears, if you actually admit that you have some of those weaknesses, or that you're angry or sad or confused, then Christian, at least what we hear from the enemy, is that we're not good enough. I'm not a good enough Christian. I don't have enough faith to overcome all these doubts. If I just had more faith, then, then this wouldn't be happening. Why? Because we read we're supposed to be the ones that have abundant hope and joy, but we also see the word of God that, that we don't always experience abundant life. We don't always experience total victory over those thoughts, and, and, and there's never a chance that you're not going to ask those questions. And if you're asking those questions, then you're fearful of what people are going to think of you. Well, if you are asking those questions, and you're supposed to be the Christian who has it all figured out, chances are you probably have some unconfessed sin in your life. There's something wrong with you if you find yourself doubting or weary or heavy burdened or anxious. Right? You hear things like, well, you're going to reap what you sow. Yeah, it could be. It very well could be that. We'll start there, just like next week, because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But that's not always, sin isn't always the answer to why you find yourself in a season of suffering. Since Genesis 3, sin and brokenness has just been rampant on this world. That's why we find, which I guess you could be like, well, yeah, sin, that's the reason, but not necessarily just your sin. You also could just be in a season of drought in your faith where you feel alone, or maybe you just are exhausted, experiencing some really difficult times in your life. I want everybody to look at me. I say this phrase often because it ministers and, and cares for my deepest parts of my soul. Hear me when I say this. It is okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to not be okay, as Chandler would say, we just don't want to stay that way. Admitting that you're not okay is a beautiful first step to just saying, hey, this is who I am, broken. Thanks to Genesis 3, sin entered the world. I'm broken. We just, as a church, don't want to stay that way. So I'm not here to rush you through those doubts or those questions. I don't want you to feel pressure to fix anything today. I don't want you to feel like you have to leave here uh, and, and that you're never going to experience the sufferings that this world has to offer. But I do want you to hear this. Whatever it is, those feelings and emotions that you have stirring in your soul this morning, we have to do something with all of them. We can't ignore our emotions, because if we do, then we're ignoring what's really going on in our own souls, our own hearts. Dan Allender, in his book, The Cry of My Soul, he says this, Our emotions are the language of our soul. 
They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. To understand our deepest passions and convictions, we must learn to listen to the cry of our souls. So what's the cry of your soul this morning? What are you doing with all of these feelings, all of these emotions? How do you put a pen to the emotions that you're feeling? You turn to the world, or we can this morning turn to the word and see what Jesus has for us. Psalm chapter 13, it gives us an example, a beautiful example of an honest answer to this question that when we find ourselves wrestling with all of those feelings, all of those emotions, we feel overwhelmed What do we do? We can turn to God's word and we see what's known as a psalm of lament. And a psalm of lament is this. It's an honest expression of our sorrows to God. If you're taking notes and you're like, man, what is is a psalm of lament? It's an honest expression of our sorrows to God. Now, lament's not a word we use very often in our vocabulary, right? Like, it's not, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm lamenting today cool, see you later. Like we don't, we don't just throw that word lamenting around, but it's a beautiful form of prayer that we see in God's word that talks to God in a very open and honest way. It's a prayer that gives you, me, time and space to process all of your pain and sorrows and grief with a God who loves you and cares for you and is for you. And I find it interesting that over a third of the Psalms are written as a lament. Like, I don't know if you, maybe you didn't grow up around the word, the Bible, but over a third of these Psalms in all of, all of this Bible, the, the, the book of Psalms, all these Psalms written, are on lament. Just throw the phrase, fake it till you make it, out of the Bible, because there's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as that. Interesting, a third of the Psalms are written as lament. There's an entire book, the book of Lamentations, five chapters, all on lamenting. So while we want to just skip over all of the mess and all of our emotions, like I get it, it's hard work. It's hard work to process how you're feeling. Sometimes an argument, guys, that you want to solve with your wife right then and right there because you're a fixer, sometimes people just need to take a step back and we just need to give time and space And we just need people to process. You need to process your sin before your wife. She needs to process how she's feeling. And it's no different with the Father in heaven. We just need to take a step back and we just need to process why and how am I feeling right now. It's a time for you to come to him honestly with all of that. And let the Spirit gently draw you into his presence as you process them. So how is your soul this morning? That's the, I'm going to keep coming back to that. But Psalm 13, it says this, verse 1 and 2. How long, Lord... Will you forget me forever? Like this isn't a soft, like if if you've been around for a little bit, I've talked about David and who he was. Uh, It wasn't just a a little soldier boy. Like he was a warrior. He was a a warrior who, who fought and killed the enemy. So I'm pretty sure when it says, will you forget me forever? I'm pretty sure there's some angst here. God, where are you? Are you you just going to forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long will you store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? First thing I want us to see, if you're taking notes, is that David actually turns to God. 
you got to start there. He turns to God. He cries out. He says, how long, Lord? Family, there's an invitation this morning to come to the Father. I don't know how, how you grew up or if you grew up around the church or what you view God is, but he is a personal God. He loves you. We saw a few weeks ago from Craig. He's the good shepherd, Psalm 23. And as a believer, he knows us. He calls you by name. And David says, my Lord, my God. And it's an invitation that he says we can come to him. Wounded, hurting, confused, angry. So real simply, when you are downcast, when you are angry, frustrated, tired, weary, full of doubt and questions, question you have to ask yourself, who or to what are you running to? David knew where to turn, even if that meant he had to be honest with God. He didn't drown his sorrows in Netflix. He didn't drown his sorrows in alcohol. He didn't drown his sorrows in porn. He didn't hide in shame for having these feelings and emotions. What did he do? He actually turned and he honestly voiced them all to God. And I'm convinced that the more honest we become with God, the more intimacy we'll find with him. Oh, that the Father in heaven just wants us to be honest with him. So turn to him this morning. The second thing I want us to see this morning is this. What does David do? He complains to God. What? Bible character complains to God. And now, Matt, you're saying it's okay to complain to God. He's pretty stern. He, he essentially accuses God, forgetting him, hiding his face, causing an anxiety and agony in his mind, and allowing his enemies to dominate him. He doesn't keep this inside. I imagine him maybe in a cave hiding, because for eight years he's been running from King Saul, hiding, fearful of his life. I imagine him literally crying out, blaming, accusing God. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's irritated. He's confused. I think a lot of us might read this and not be surprised by the honesty that David feels. Like, of course David feels that way. But we might be surprised that David actually spoke to God in such a tone as we read here. I want you to hear me on this. God can handle your honesty. Your spouse might not be able to handle your honesty. Some of your friends, your closest friends, may not be able. We're not perfect. We're not God. But God can handle your honesty. In his book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, Mark Vergrope says, our frustrations and questions do not fluster him. He knows all about them. He wrote the book on them. More astoundingly, he invites us to come and air our grievances before him. I think it's in this moment of honesty where we see the foundation of intimacy David had with the Father. That he knew he could go to him. He knew that he could be honest. Honesty is the foundation of intimacy. In any of your friendships, your spouse, how you operate your business, honesty is the foundation of intimacy, especially with the Father. So in all of David's honest complaints, we see him accuse God real quick of, of four specific things. Number one, God has forgotten him. He says, will you forget me forever? There's a lot of if. He doesn't say if, but in my mind I go to that word. Like if, 
if God loves me? Well, if only God cared for me, if he would only remember me, then this wouldn't be happening. Like a big if right there. Will you forget me forever? So you, I think you've got to ask, if you are his Christian, brother and sister, will God forget you? Isaiah 49 offers the assurance that, we, that he will never leave us or forsake us. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? or lack compassion for the child of her womb, even if these forget, yet I will not forget you. Look, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Or how about the words offered to Moses, and then again to Joshua, and then to all of the children of Israel, and then to all of us as believers. Never will I leave you or forsake you. But let's not forget the strategy of the evil one. You see, the father of lies wants you to sit in your complaints. And he is good at what he does. He would want nothing more than you to believe that you've been forgotten. Second accusation David makes. God has hidden his face. How long will you hide your face from me now? Like this is rejection. This is what he's dealing with now. He's gone from uh, God's forgotten me to now he feels rejected. At least if God forgets me, at least there's a chance that he's going to turn back, right? Like he just, he just forgot me. He just forgot that I was hanging out right there. At least he might step in and do something. But when he turns his face on you, he's, he's hiding his face in your most desperate time of need. That's how David feels, not just forgotten. He feels that God sees him in his desperate time of need and then just turns away. It's quite the accusation, and it leads David into feeling not just forgotten, but feeling rejected. The enemy is good with this one. Rejection leads to all sorts of shame. God must be ashamed of you. He must be ashamed of me. He turned his back on me. How could he turn his face towards me, away from me? The father family hear this Christian brother and sister the father actually delights in you think back to Ephesians where we talked about you are his inheritance Psalm 37 a person's steps are established by the Lord he takes pleasure in his way though he falls he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports him with his hand or Psalm 149 for the Lord takes pleasure in his people he adorns the humble with salvation Christian Hear this, Jesus was rejected on your behalf. And now, because of what he has done, because of the rejection he received from the Father, you're now accepted, you are now loved, adopted, and cherished. Third accusation, God has led me to anxiety and agony within me. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. Fear of being left, fear of God hiding his face. Now this fear has led him to only look at himself. All we can see in this moment, this progression. God didn't just turn uh, away or forget me. He turned his face on me. Now all I can do is, I've taken God out of the equation, and all I can do is just navel gaze, head down, frantically looking for answers within myself. Like, surely I did something to deserve this from God. Of course, my sin is is the cause of all of this. He's punishing me for my past sin. Now, don't hear me say there's not consequences to sin, right? But Jesus absorbed the wrath for your sin, brother and sister. 
so that you no longer have to feel rejected. So you no longer have to feel this inner turmoil in your hearts and your souls, this, this downward cast of like, I'm all by myself. Nobody cares for me. You can't see past yourselves, and it's here that the lies of the enemy are very loud. You're restless, weary, always skeptical. People are always out to get me. I'm a terrible person. It's here that our hearts become absorbed with ourselves. So, of course, your soul becomes noisy and restless inside. It's here where we need to remember the words of Paul and cry out to the one who actually offers a peace, Philippians 4, that surpasses all understanding. A peace that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ. And then his last accusation, he says, God has allowed my enemy to triumph over me. How long will my enemy dominate me? Like this is defeat. David's ready to throw in the towel. You see that? This natural progression. There's acknowledgement of God. He just forgot about me. God, where are you? There's this acknowledgement that, oh, well, he must be really frustrated at me because he turned his back on me. Then there's this acknowledgement of God's out of the equation and it's all on me. And now... How long will my enemies dominate me? Hopeless. It's defeat. Totally overwhelmed. At this point, again, he's been fighting the Philistines for years. Eight years on the run. He was fearful of his life. It was a violent time, and he just knew his enemies would surely win. David felt real feelings. That's why I love the word of God. How long, Lord... I want you to think about this. We can all put up with something if you know how long it's going to last. Right? Road trip with the kids. Are we there yet? No. How much longer? An hour. After an hour, you're on your own, parents. Okay? You better be well equipped for that trip. But if you give something to somebody, your kids, and say, hey, we'll be there in an hour. Or I'm starving. When is lunch? Well, it's in 30 minutes. Okay. 15 minutes later. I'm starving. When... It's still in 15 minutes. Like you... You're giving them an end result. And we can typically put up with something when we know the end result. Like there's an end coming. We can take on the short trials in life, but what happens when those long trials with no end in sight begin to grind, on our, grind down our souls over time? Even harder, we see right here, is when we don't even have an explanation for our trials. David doesn't seem to know why he's in this season of suffering, right? Like there's no confession of sin here. Lots of the laments are, forgive us for X, Y, Z. Lord, forgive us. We have sinned. This lament is very particular. There's no confession of sin. No repentance here. I wonder if we're either quick to jump to sin, oh, I, God is punishing me for this, or wonder if we just don't slow down enough in these seasons where we feel off and we just ask the questions, hey, what are some reasons you feel like God's turned his back on you? Specific sin? Great. Let's tackle that together. But what do you do when there's no end result and you're like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm in this. Well, you might feel that way because you're just extremely tired, right? I think there's times in life where you just feel drained emotionally from having to make tough decisions, Drained from having to have tough conversations over and over again. I think as a mom, there's probably some moms in here that just feel maybe blah right now because you're not sleeping, 
Rightfully so. You have children, these kids that, that need you and they're always clinging to you. And you just feel, just feel a little downcast, just to feel a little outcast from the Lord. Spiritually drained because you're just flat out exhausted. Maybe your business is struggling. Financial burdens are weighing on your shoulders. Business deals not working out. You're tired. God seems to be far away. He seems to be turning his back on you. Maybe you're dealing with a long-term illness. You sought answers. You got answers. And now there seems to be no end in sight. You're jobless. I think you could go down the list. Children with special needs, marital strife, struggling with parenting and discipline. Just a heavy breath, just like even listening, listing these. Parents dealing with illness, demoted at work, worried about downsizing with your job. Like a desert highway with no end in sight. And you ask, how long, God? When we find ourselves asking these questions, how long? Wrestling with the emotions of our souls. Let me remind us that this book... The word of God, it points us, all of us, at every point, points us to Jesus. Including this psalm, and in those moments of despair, wondering where God is, remember that what you are feeling, even more than what David felt, your Savior felt. I said a few weeks ago, the psalms are actually a beautiful insight into the soul of Christ. Agony, hurt, betrayal, Frustration, hunger, despair, dreadful at what was to come. And in the garden, as he prepared for his death, we see into the soul of our Savior. Kent Hughes captures this in a beautiful way, and he says this, Jesus' heart was in such anguish that he sweat drops of blood, enormous strain and inner turmoil. And ultimately, God did hide his face from Christ. Jesus called out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Christ carried our sin in his own body, God did turn his face away from him. We might feel like God has turned away from us, but believer, hear this truth. We cannot, we know that this cannot be true. For Jesus was actually forsaken for us and for our salvation. Friends, because Jesus was forsaken, you can now find peace in God today through Jesus. You can honestly come to the Father today with all of your stuff. You can voice it to him. And as a believer today, you can walk out of here with the assurance that he's never going to turn his back on you. Lamenting is a process. It really is. I'm still learning. I try to even have it in my, my weekly, if monthly, if not weekly, rhythms of, of prayer where I, I sit and I wonder, what should I lament today? And sometimes it's very easy. Like weekly, I can turn on the news and think, holy smokes, there's a lot to lament right now for our nation, for things that are happening. Then there's times where I'm lamenting my sin. I see the brokenness come out in my kids and how I parent them, and I have to take time and just lament that. I don't want that. They don't want that. It's a process. David's taking time to turn. He's complained. He's accused. But as he keeps moving on in the process, he pivots. And it's so important that we see this as believers. If you stay there with the complaints, what a miserable life. 
I don't know any other way to say it. He doesn't just end with accusations. I imagine Paul, or Paul, I still am stuck in Ephesians. Uh, I imagine David writing this. Imagine him on his knees, man, probably just head heavy, slouched over. He's cried out. He's laid it all out on the line. He's bore his soul to the Father. He took every ounce of anger and frustration, confusion and doubt. And I just imagine the Spirit in this moment, this pivot, in this psalm, just lift his eyes to heaven. And in this moment, I imagine David just does this. Just a heavy sigh, and in faith, he asks the Father to hear him and to answer him. Consider me and answer me, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. I know that my enemy will say I have triumphed over him. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. The third thing I want us to see that David does this morning is he asks God. He pivots and he asks God. He doesn't run to anything or anyone except God. The same one who he was just accusing of abandoning him and forgetting him, the Spirit gently reminds him. The pivot in this psalm that he is with him always, even to the end of the age. He reminds him that those who draw near to God will draw near to him. He reminds him, the Spirit reminds him that if you will seek him, you will find him. And when you seek him with all of your heart, your heart, he will find you. All of that scripture. The Spirit strengthened David as he prayed, and the Spirit does the same for Jesus on many occasions. I love what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 5, he says this. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals, talking about Jesus with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. In other words, Jesus knew where to cry out to, his Father. And he was heard because of his reverence. Turn to God. Pour out your heart to him and then boldly ask him, knowing and believing that the Father really does care for you. He really does love you. And he specifically asked for three things. Would you just consider me, Lord? Would you answer? Like, this is personal. He says, Lord, my God. I think about the times where my, my kids will want my attention and I'm sitting there doing something and it's like, yeah, they got my attention, but I'm glued over here. And they're like, no, Dad, I want you to look. Okay, yeah, 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 I see. You. Oh, that's cool, that's cool. They literally will come over to my face and they will take my face and say, Daddy, would you please just look? I imagine this is what David is doing with God. Maybe not physically, but downcast, saying, God, would you, would you please turn your face back to me? He's asking genuinely, would you please stop ignoring me? Would you turn to me and listen? He asked to restore the brightness. Would you just wipe away all these tears, God? Would you give me the sparkle in my eyes again? He wants his eyes restored. He wants to feel that energy again, to feel refreshed. Hey, I don't think it's any secret, but physical, there is a physical toll with emotional strain. If you're constantly just emotionally drained, there's a physical toll. And that's what he's saying. Restore the brightness of my eyes. Then he finally asked for the Lord to bless him. God had promised to bless, but it feels as though God forgot about him. That his enemies have been blessed instead of him. He feels this toll, and he just simply asked God to deliver him. 
So David turns, he complains, and he asks. And then finally, the last thing I want us to see this morning is that David trusts God. He turns, complains, he asks, and then he trusts. He turned a corner here. We have no idea how long it took David to get from verse 1 to verse 5. Like, we can't look at this and think, oh, he just wrote that in his journal on June 6th of whatever year it was. Like, this is probably at least a week, maybe months, for him to write this psalm of amen. But he's turned a corner. He's moved from accusing God to now asking. And he pivots on this. But I, I have trusted In spite of how I feel, in spite of what my circumstances are, I have trusted in your faithful love. Remember earlier I said honesty is the foundation of intimacy. Look at what David's honesty with the Father has done to his intimacy with the Father. For the first time in this passage, David becomes confident and resolved. Not in his own plan, not in his own strength, not even because his circumstances may or may not be improving, but because he remembers what? The faithful love of the Father. And when we will remember the faithful love of the Father, there are some beautiful effects. Those accusations from verse 1 that he's throwing out that came from his heart, how he was genuinely feeling towards the Lord are now rooted in confidence found in verse 5 and 6. I trust in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice and I will sing. All acts of faith. Not a blind faith but a faith rooted in the promises of the Lord. And it's here that the Spirit brings David back to the promises. David, I think, had a, a, something in his life where, where the, the Spirit gently lifted his eyes. I think there was a time where he probably reflected and thought, is he faithful? Oh my gosh, he is faithful. And I think he went back to that Ebenezer Stone, if you will, or that, that time of help where he's like, yeah, yes. Yes, God, you are faithful. And his eyes begin to lift and he he realized the faithfulness of the Father, that he does love him, that he has provided for him, that he has done miraculous things in him and through him. And God, you are so faithful. And he sees the hope of the future, that God may not change your circumstances. Hear me. But if you believe that his word is true, you will be filled for the joy that is to come. Jesus is the author of our faith. Would you set your hope on what is to come? And if you're following Jesus today, would you look ahead at the joy that God has for everyone who loves him? See, Psalm 13 is not just the journey that David walked from the darkness to light. It's actually the journey that Jesus followed during his earthly life, all the way to the cross. And then just as, the bright, just as bright as the morning star, he bursts through the darkness out of the grave, and it's there that we can find our hope in Christ as well. I'll close with this, another quote from Mark. He says, When the clouds lift and the light shines on you again, you will see his face, and you will know that he has been right beside you all along. For now you need to call out to God in prayer. The very God who seems so far away, you need hope in him. His promises are true. His word is sure, and he will save you. Lamenting all of our brokenness, whether it be sin we've committed, sin that has been committed against you, 
or just the season of suffering that the Lord has us in. Lamenting gives us the path to journey on the messy wilderness of all of our pain and sorrow. Lord, we, we come before you. We thank you for today. Would you uh, draw near to us, God? Draw near to the brokenhearted. Would you draw near to, um, to each and every one of us in a very intimate, real way? Would your spirit... I'm already jumping ahead. Would you just allow us to pause and to consider where and how our soul feels today? And then, Father, as, as we evaluate that, talk to you. Part of our response is some of us need to start with turning and stop, stop going to the ways of this world for all of our despair and actually turn to God, who is the one who can hear you, does hear you, and actually can save you from that despair. Others of us are maybe just a little fearful. Can I really be honest with you, Lord? Can I really be honest that I'm, I'm really... God, how'd you let that happen to me? Why would you take that child from me? Why would you do this to me? And we just need to be honest with the Father for the first time, maybe. We can be honest with Him. And then, God, in that timing, I, I think this is where I don't know what the process looks like for everybody. Some of us are ready to, for you to lift our, our eyes, to restore the brightness of our eyes, and for us to to bank on your faithfulness again. Some of us are, are just entering into that where we're frustrated and, and asking these questions. But in this time of response, would your spirit, this is what I love about you. You're such a big God and yet you care individually for each of us. That at the same moment, you can be, you can be merciful to the one who is crying out and mourning the loss of something or someone and at the same time, celebrate alongside a brother or sister who's, who's lifted their eyes back to you. And they, they have the joy of their salvation again. I don't know how you do it, but you do it every week that we gather. You do it every day to the Christian believer, to our brothers and sisters. And I just beg you to do more of it today. And if we're wrestling and we're, we're wondering where we're, we don't have a process. Man, I hear you cry out to God. I don't even know if I believe in God. Maybe that's where you're at. Then let's, let's be there together. Let's cry out together. Let's, let's walk through that together. And the beauty of that is that even when you're saying, vocalizing, I don't believe that you are there, he's there and he's wooing you. He's bidding you to just come and be with him. He's not causing you to be an outcast. He's actually just saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Whatever it is, God, would you move today, Spirit, to, to do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.